I'm Jeremy Pearsons. On today's Believer's Voice of Victory, we are bringing you a special teaching by David Barton from Eagle Mountain International Church. Now, David is a historian and the founder of Wall Builders. And this message contains valuable, timely information that will equip you to vote the Bible in the polls next week. And if you missed yesterday's broadcast, go back and catch up with this. You can watch the broadcast for free on kcm.org or on KCM's Roku channel. Now, let's join David Barton as he begins today's message. We're told in Proverbs 18:17 that one side sounds good until you hear the other. Now, this is the basis of this and John 8 is the basis of what we have in the Bill of Rights where you get to confront your accuser. You see, you get to hear both sides. If the prosecution is the only one that was to present his case to the jury, we'd convict everybody. If the defense attorney was the only one that presented his case to the jury, we'd free everybody. So what happens is the jury has to hear the prosecution and the defense and decide what the truth is, where the facts lie, and then make a decision on that. See, that's what the Bible tells us to do. There's another great verse on this, Acts 17.11. Acts 17.11 deals with the Apostle Paul. He was actually on his second missionary journey. And on that second missionary journey, he said, I love the Thessalonians. They're great people. We got the book to Thessalonians. But I love the Bereans more than I love the Thessalonians. Because... Now, remember, Paul was the most credentialed apostle in that day. He had he'd been trained with Gamal. He was the Jew of the Jew. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the guy with all the PhDs after his name from Jewish heritage standpoint. He said, but I love these Bereans. This is what he said about the Bereans. Those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things I told them were true. These guys won't believe anything I say. They don't care how many credentials I got from a name. They want to see if it's if what I'm telling them about God's word is actually true. They keep going to the scriptures to see if I'm telling. See, this thing about searching the truth, they didn't want hearsay. They wanted actual evidence. And Paul said, I love these folks. They don't believe what they're told until they go check it out and see if it's actually true. And see, that's what we've got to do. We've got to get to that point. And so whether it's memes or whether it's headline stuff or whether it's social media, whether it's all the tickers and bomb the screen, what we have to do is have a love for truth more than anything else. Now, I've shown you one statue, Columbus. Let me take you in some of the other statues. And there's a lot of statues. The, the mantra that we've gotten consistently in national news articles is the statues are coming down because of racism, particularly the statues are coming down to Confederate statues. And they're being removed because of racism. I went to the website recently, and I was—I keep a track of, of every single monument I can find anywhere that's been torn down, even in tiny little local communities. But I wanted to see what was on the web. So I went to the web, and I looked for monuments to face, statues torn down, all the stuff. And the top two sites that came up listed nothing but Confederate statues. Okay. Now, we can have a discussion about whether Confederacy was total racist. And you can't say that it is because I can point to David Farragut. David Farragut was a Confederate guy who came north and fought for the Union, became the top Union admiral. We have Farragut Square in Washington, D.C. We have Farragut Statue in Washington, D.C. He is one of the biggest anti-slavery guys out of the Confederacy there is, and they tore his statue down in Washington, D.C. because he's from the Confederacy. No. He went to the north to fight for the Union to fight against slavery. So you can't say that everybody who lives in the south is a racist. But that's just for discussion. I'm going to give them that. I'm going to say, OK, if it's a Confederate statue, let's just say it's racist. OK, if we say that, then what do we do with and, and that's not true, by the way. I'm going to show you this, 
what's happening now and what you don't see in the news is more about hating America than it is hating racism. Now, racism is a bad deal. We all hate racism. If you don't, you're not biblical. You should be biblical enough to know Acts 17, 26, to know 1 Samuel 17. All these verses where God says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. We're all the same in him. Simple stuff. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, racism is intolerable for you. Just real, real simple. And that doesn't matter what it is. God does not look on the outside. He doesn't care what color you are. He doesn't care what color I am. And I really don't care what color I am. If I didn't look in a mirror, I wouldn't know what color I was. And that should not affect the way I think. What should affect the way I think is what God's Word says. And every one of us should strive to be that. So, just racism's bad. But that's not what all the statue stuff is all about. Let me take you through some statues as an example. Let me take you first to statues like um, uh, the statues based on this picture from 1863. Abraham Lincoln, January 1st, 1863, the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect to free all all slaves in the 11 southern states. So as a result of that, a number of slaves who were freed, John Roy Lynch and a number of others I can point to, they took up a big collection of money to build a statue to Abraham Lincoln. They built that statue to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, this, the, the speech, the dedication speech was given by Frederick Douglass, the great civil rights leader who had been a slave, escaped to the north, went to New York, and then worked full-time for the Massachusetts Abolition Society. So this statue is, is raised by the funds of former slaves who were freed by Lincoln. They called him the great emancipator. And the dedication speech was given by civil rights leader Frederick Douglass, but now the statue has to come down. It's in Boston, the Abolition Center of, of America back at that point in time. But th- this, is, this is a statue that we can't have anymore. Wait a minute. I thought it was about racism. Tell me what, where racism is in this because this is not what the story is. The same thing when you go to Cleveland. Uh, in Cleveland, you have – by the way, Cleveland, it, that's Ohio, I think. I think Ohio was on the Union side in the Civil War. They were. They gave a lot of lives to end slavery and racism. And this is the Union memorial to soldiers and sailors, and it was defaced in Cleveland. So why are you defacing the Union guys if we're saying the Confederacy is racism? It was the Union who ended that. So why are you going after Union statues? And then Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant is the military leader of the Union forces who defeated the Confederacy, who became a president, who passed six civil rights laws, one of which is the first law ever to make the Klan illegal and punish the Klan. And we have to tear down his statue as well. And then we've got statues of the Massachusetts 54th. That's the first black regiment on the Union side, the Breakthrough Regiment. I actually owned the law that was passed by Congress. As a result of what these black soldiers did on the Union side, Congress passed the law that said black soldiers, white soldiers treated the same. They get the same pay. They get the same everything. It's a breakthrough. It's actually Frederick Douglass who helped organize the Massachusetts 54th, Massachusetts 55th. Two of his sons fought in the Massachusetts 54th. But now we've got to deface this monument to black Union Civil War soldiers who were a breakthrough regiment. And then we've got things like Frederick Douglass. Why in the world would we tear down the statue of Frederick Douglass? The great civil... It's all racism. Just look up on Wikipedia. It's all about racism. Really? What is the racism with Frederick Douglass? See, it's not just racist stuff we're going after. We're going after a lot more than that. And by the way, if you haven't noticed, uh, statues of Jesus are in real, real target right now. We've had all sorts of statements from all sorts of different leaders, BLM and others, Antifa. Um, just Jesus, this Jesus stuff is really bad. 
And, and so what we see as a result of that is the attacks on Jesus. Statues all across the country that are of Jesus are being torn down, defaced, uh, being attacked, being vandalized. Um, one of the Catholic statues outside a Catholic church was erected after World War II to honor Catholic veterans who gave their life in World War II. And they went over that, Virgin Mary. They tried to burn it down, tried to tear it down, were not successful. They did damage it. Uh, but it was a serviceman's memorial. We've also got a church in, in Miami. Um, got their statue of Jesus got attacked, so they moved inside the church to try to repair it. But all over the country, we're seeing attacks on churches. Junipero Serra is the Catholic priest who founded California. He's the guy who brought the gospel to California. And so his statues have to come down. Uh, actually, wherever his statue is, is getting defaced and, and torn down. And even the churches he started back then in 1771 are being burned down because we can't have Christian stuff there. So these missionaries are bad. And by the way, not just Junipero Serra, there were a lot of missionaries to California. Four, four of the mission churches from back in the 1700s have been burned down because that's all bad stuff. You see the, the church closes after vandals paint satanic symbols on the outside of Connecticut Parish. And actually that week there were 11 churches that were attacked and defaced. Uh, you've got St. John's Church in Washington, D.C. St. John's Church in Washington, D.C., the Church of the Presidents. John Adams started going to church there when he was president of the United States. He's the first president to move into Washington, D.C. And every president since then has gone to church there, and it's got to be attacked and torn down. So not just Catholic, but Protestant. And then when they didn't get it fully done, a week later they came back after it again, going back again. And then you may have seen what happened in, in, in Montana. Uh, we're taking down Ten Commandments. We've got to vandalize Ten What does this have to do with racism? It doesn't. It has to do with traditional values in America. It has to do with military. It has to do with religion. It has to do with faith. It has to do with the nation itself. It has to do with anything that's traditional in America. We're going to say it's racism or we're going to claim racism. That way everybody will support us. It's not stopping there. Uh, here's what happened in Portland, burning Bibles. Now, I can pretty easily show you that racism ended because of Christians who used the Bible as abolitionists and led the force on the other side. Anytime something has gone right in America, it's because Bible people took those principles and went the right direction. Is this the Bible has been what's ended the evils, not what's created the evils. And although there were some people in the South who used the Bible to justify it, you're talking the 1% versus the 99%. If you're going to only focus on the 1%, you'll get it wrong every time. You've got to look at the 99%. And the Bible is really what brought liberty and freedom and equality and so many other things. So we've got that. But as if that's not enough, let's go through Washington, D.C. and just take down 12 memorials there. And by the way, those memorials are often military memorials. Uh, this is the World War I memorial in Pittsburgh. This is the World War I memorial in Kansas City. This is the World War I memorial in Birmingham. This is the World War II memorial in Washington, D.C. This is the World War II memorial in Indiana. This is the World War II Memorial in Merced, California. All these guys lost their lives in World War II, so we have to face all that, all the sacrifice from Merced local, local folks. Uh, this is the World War II uh, Memorial in Charlotte. I mean, and just keep going through. Let's, why would you attack the 9-11 Memorial? Why go after 9-11? And then this one. This is mystifying. This is one of the memorials attacked in the face. Clayton Jackson McGee Memorial. These are three black guys that were lynched wrongly because of their race. And this is a memorial to the victims of racial injustice. And we're going to tear it down too? We're going to deface it? We don't have a clue what we're doing unless you can say they're historically literate or you can say they're anti-America. Either way, 
Because either way, it's a bad deal for the future of the country. You hate the country because of what your education has taught you, but you don't have a clue who these guys are. Even It's like Columbus. We tear Columbus down without knowing a thing of what he did. We just are told he's a bad guy. And so this is where if you don't believe the truth, if you believe a lie, delusion enters, you'll act on the lie, and there'll be high consequences as a price. And this is where America is right now in so many areas. So it really is about hating America. And by the way, with all these statues that, that are coming down... Don't think that I'm suggesting these guys were perfect because they weren't. We know they weren't perfect. Oh, my gosh. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't put statues up to perfect people. That's just not what we do. We're told in the Old and New Testament both that that hopes back up a minute. We're told in the Old and New Testament both that there's none righteous. No, not one. I think the best way to handle statues and handle people we would call to be heroes is to look at what the Bible says about Noah. Remember the time of Noah? How bad things were. It was so bad that God said, I'm going to wipe it out and start again. So we're told in Noah, uh, in Genesis 6, 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man. And he was. You look at the condition of the world then, but notice the Bible also says he was a righteous man in his generation. Now, why would it say that? Because if you remember, when Noah got off the ark, he had trouble with public drunkenness. Fall down dead drunk is what he was after he got off the ark with the sons and the stuff that went on. Brought a curse on the sons. But Noah wasn't killing people. He wasn't raping people. He wasn't stealing their stuff. He wasn't perfect, but compared to his generation, he was miles ahead. He moved the world forward in his days, despite the fact he wasn't perfect. And so that's what we do with statues. We say, this is somebody that in that time moved the world in the right direction. They took a step in the right direction. They're not perfect, but they took a step in the right direction. See, that's what we used to understand about statues. And and by the way, you know, if we're going to cancel everybody who's not perfect, all these kids are going to be canceled too in the next generation because all the iPhones they're using were made by slave labor in China. And all the Nike shoes they're wearing are made by slaves in China. And all the Christmas lights are put up. Well, they don't do Christmas because that's religious. If they were putting up Christmas lights made by slaves in China. See, when the next generation, oh, these guys supported slavery. They gave money to Apple. See, they don't even have a clue. The standard they're using, we're told in Matthew 7, whatever standard you use to judge others will be the standard used to judge you. This stuff's going to come back on their heads in a way that they won't understand. But see, this is what we've done in the culture. We no longer teach truth. It's no longer our focus. So loving the truth is the key here. Now, in loving the truth, I want to focus on two other things that go with it. We should love the truth biblically. But in America today, that now means we have to find the truth. Because the truth is no longer ready available like Columbus. I'm going to guess that 95% of you had never heard those facts about Columbus. We haven't taught them in a few generations in America. So now, how do you know the truth? You're going to have to go dig it out. It's now hard work to know the truth in America because it's been gone for a good while. We've just we've, we've been assuming the schools had good intentions, the media had good intentions. You can't make that assumption anymore. You're now going to have to check everything. Check me, by the way. You need to check what I'm telling you this morning. You need to check and see if I didn't. Maybe I photoshopped all those statues that are coming down. Maybe I photoshopped all the information about Columbus. Maybe I made it up. You, you, just, you have to go find the truth. And so that now means hard work. 
And this is something Americans haven't liked for a good while. We want it delivered to us on a platter. That's why I have my phone. That's why I have my social media. I got Facebook. That's all I need. No, it's not all we need anymore because now even Christians are confused about the truth. As you saw, only one out of two Christians even believes there is absolute moral truth. So you now have to work harder than you ever worked before. And that's going to be a character question for all of us as Christians. Are we willing to work hard? Because now we have to change our lifestyle from what we've had for generations in America. But we have to do that if we're going to go after the truth. So finding the truth is important. And the third thing I'd point to is defending the truth. And defending the truth now takes courage. It takes more courage than been required in our lifetime. We saw polling three weeks ago that tell us the 77% of traditional value Americans, we right here, we now self-censor due to the current climate in America. We're not going to take on stuff in the culture and talk about it because we know we'll get attacked if we do. We know we'll get attacked at work or social media or whatever. We know that we make ourselves a target. So we're just going to hang. We're going to lay low and keep our head down under fire. Can't do it anymore. Truth will not prevail if we don't talk about truth, if we don't confront people who have it wrong, if we don't start defending the truth, it will not prevail. We cannot be passive on this. And this thing about, well, I'm afraid to say something because I'll get attacked. Hey, guess what? Bible's really clear. The fearful and cowardly have no place in heaven. If you got trouble with fear, you need to confront that because that's not from God and it will not allow you to enjoy what God wants you to enjoy. The cowardly don't get into heaven. It's time to have some backbone as Christians. It's time to speak with confidence and stand up. It's time to confront. Uh, we're told in Romans 15, 14 that we're competent to confront. We're told in Ephesians 4.15 that you speak the truth with love, but you speak the truth. we got to get back to doing that. So with us, truth is a big deal, and you've got to have courage for it. So with truth, we're going to have to love the truth. We're going to have to find the truth, which means hard work. We're going to have to defend the truth. But that's the basis of what we have to do. We've got to get truth out. Uh, If you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, the creation of man in the garden, why did God create man? Well... The answer that's been given since 1546 when the Scottish Shorter Catechism came out is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's good. That's I like that. But is that what the Bible says? Is that why God created man? Is that the reason we find in Genesis? No, it's not. When you go back and look, while that is a very admirable goal for all of us, that's not what the Bible says. In the Bible, what you find is in Genesis 1 and 2, you have the story of creation twice. You have Genesis 1, then you have Genesis 2. It's like here's the 30,000-foot view and here's like the 15,000-foot view. So you see what happens on day 1, day 2. And so God creates and he separates the the firmaments, the water above, the water below. And he separates the land and the sea and he separates the light from the night and the light from the day. And he creates everything on the earth. Well, he creates the fish and then everything on the earth and the animals. And then he creates man. And so going through all of the stuff that God creates... We're told why he created man in verses 5 and verses 15 of chapter 2. In verses 5 and 15, it says, God looked at everything he had created, and behold, it was good. But he saw that he had no one to tend his garden. So he made man. Two verses. We're told that God saw that he had no one to take care of his stuff. So he made man to take care of his stuff. The purpose that we were, the reason we were created was to tend his garden. To take care of his stuff. Now, we're also given that again in Luke 19, 13, New Testament, where Jesus says, Occupy, do business till I come. It's all about tending his garden. The, the way it's covered now in Christianity, we talk about the seven mountains. These, that's all his stuff. 
The scripture says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Everything in it is the Lord's. So business, government, family, religion, media, education, it's all his. We ought to be taking care of his stuff. We ought to be taking care of education and media. We ought, we ought to be in all of these areas. See, this is his garden. This is what he left us. And this is our commission is to take care of his stuff. Now, notice that one of those areas is the area of government. And the area of government, the easiest way to take care of his stuff is what's going to happen in just a few weeks. And it's going to be voting. We've got a vote to cast. As Terry said, you need to have that voter registration. Jerry Falwell, who used to be really blunt in, um, in, in his church in Virginia, he would say, everyone stand up. They'd stand. Everyone who's registered to vote, sit down. Everybody else that wasn't registered was left standing. And they went and gave them voter registration cards and filled them out right there in service, right in the middle of service. Because you gotta, you got to take care of... Hagee goes a little further. He, he says, all you sinners that are still standing, you're going to register to vote. So, nonetheless, this is one of the simplest ways to take care of the garden. But the only way we can do that is to have a biblical view when we vote. We can't vote on what some party's truth is. And we can't vote on what the media's truth is. We can't vote on what our friend's truth is. we got to be that one out of 16 that actually read God's word and see what God's truth is and how God looks at the elections. What issues are most important to him? Every presidential election will have 40 to 50 different campaign issues. God has told us his top four or five. He has told us real clear. He says the judges of the land will determine the righteousness of the land, Isaiah 126. So I'm going to look for the right kind of judges. Which presidential candidate gives me the right kind of judges? He's also told us in Genesis 12, 3, that if you bless Israel, I'll bless you. If you don't bless me, I won't bless So how that presidential candidate deals with Israel. He's also told us in the Ten Commandments, don't shed innocent blood. Well, that goes to abortion. So I want to see where you are on abortion because God won't bless any land that sheds innocent blood. We're also told, he says, don't commit adultery. What he said is, I won't... I want sexuality contained to a man and a woman inside marriage. So anything outside of man and woman's sexuality outside of that is wrong. It's just not biblical. Ten commandments let us know. So there, there's those five. There's three out of the ten commandments that are that are real simple. And the other one uh, is the first of the ten commandments. He says, acknowledge me. I am the Lord thy God. If I don't have the freedom to acknowledge God at a graduation or freedom to acknowledge God in health care or if I'm little sisters of the poor. So religious liberty is what that's talking about. So when you look at judges, you look at Israel, you look at religious liberty, you look at abortion, you look at LGBTQ. Those are five issues God's weighed in on. Now, not all Americans may think the same on that, but God thinks the same on that. And we who are of his word need to think the same on that. So if we're going to take care of his garden... Then that's the stuff we've got to do. That's simple stuff. So that's my challenge to you this morning is tend the garden. But it also goes back to loving truth, which means finding the truth and defending the truth. God bless you guys. Thanks for letting me share. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And remember, Jesus is Lord.